Well, as a music therapist, Mike has definitely talked to people and taught people and is aware of how music helps people with dementia. That's for sure. Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant, a certified caregiving educator, a caregiver support group leader, and I was a longtime caregiver for my father-in-law, Roger. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here, we we tend to focus on the caregiver. We offer our practical insights and share some emotional support. And we might even share a laugh or two because we all know that laughing is, in fact, the best medicine. Don't forget the wine, Mike. Now, you know I never forget your wine. Come on now. (laughs) Well, the stress of, of being a caregiver for seven years, really, it took a toll on me. And, um... One of the things that I was having trouble with was panic attacks. And I also had some migraines and I had some hair loss. Um, Stress can take such a toll on people. Now, I was able, once I realized that it was a, a panic attack and not a heart attack, I was able to bring myself out of it by doing some breathing techniques to read to release that stress. But I still get them from time to time now. I never had before that, but now my body seems to think stress, panic, and I still use those techniques. And also the stress uh, of being the full-time caregiver, and you were 24-7. I had that pesky day job where I could get away from it. Uh, It had a very dramatic impact on our relationship. And that's the only time in our 33 years of being married where we really had uh, some angst and uh, it it caused some problems in the relationship, ones that weren't so severe that we couldn't get up past them, but it did cause some problems. Oh, you put that mildly. I mean, we fought more during that time than we ever had before or after. And again, that's another indication of what stress can do. And that brings us to today's guest. She is a licensed instructor of Dr. Susan Jeffers Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway workshops and a certified psychosynthesis counselor and spiritual director who advocates for self-care for caregivers and a teacher of meditation. Integrating a spiritual dimension into her Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway work has allowed her to work a deeper level with caregivers. Please welcome to our show, Shirley Riga. Welcome, Shirley. Hi, thank you for having me. Hi, Mike. Hi, Bobby. We are so glad to have you here today because stress impacts caregivers and the people that they're caring for every single day and sometimes with tragic results. So can you talk to us and our listeners about feel the fear and do it anyway? Sure, sure. Um, I want to just say briefly that... um, my story started in 1981 when my second daughter was born and she was born with a terminal liver disease uh, right at the outset. And um, so I was completely unprepared for this, of course, and it took my life and turned it upside down. And um, I had a lot of problems with stress and anxiety. I actually became agoraphobic. I was afraid to leave the house and uh, I was afraid to 
pretty much do anything. And um, I had to get professional help because I had a, um, a healthy two-year-old daughter and the brand new baby. And we were just about constantly in the hospital. So panic attacks. I remember I was offered a Valium by the, by the um, gastroenterologist on Children's Hospital just to help me hold it together as we were making decisions. I mean, it was very, very, very difficult. And um, I, I am an old friend of panic attacks, Bobby. I know those um, inside and out and learned how to deal with them over the years. So um, I have um, a lot of experience in understanding what I need to do when I start feeling the effects of them. I, um, do you want me to keep talking or, or I just wanna, I kind of forgot what you <laughs> asked me. <laughs> I was talking about feel the fear oh, yes, yes, into yes. it anyway because panic attacks really they oh, come from yes, fear. Oh yes, they do, and and the the mind turning into fast fast thinking that gets out of control. I probably found the book Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway when my daughter was around seven years old, and um, I would just put myself into a bookstore usually after a therapy session and just kind of wander the self help area trying to figure out what it is that I need. And uh, the title caught my attention. Um, Susan Jeffers wrote it um, now probably over 25 years ago. She's a psychologist. And um, she discovered that most everyone has fear. And she, um, the book itself is very easy to read. She has a lot of personal stories in there, plus stories of people that she treated. But the key to the whole book is the tools and the resources that help um, us understand what our triggers are that cause that fear. I mean, I, of course, had, a, had a, um, an incredible fear of my daughter dying and um, mm -hmm. just not being able to deal with all my thoughts. They just... I can yeah. imagine, you know, as, as difficult as it is to care for a spouse long-term or a parent long-term. But when it's your child, it's a whole Absolutely. nother level. And, and my daughter survived into the time where she had to go to school. So not only were we medically involved, we had to deal with the school system. We had to deal with the social problems and um, in the family life. So it was extremely, extremely difficult. Yeah, I am amazed that Can't I survived even imagine. it. So you mentioned that, that well, yes. we're glad you did. You mentioned there are <laughs> techniques in, in the book. Are you able to share sure, some of those? Sure, I can listeners? share techniques in the book. Um, and I also have ones that I have developed from my own experience. But in the book, um, I think the hugest thing that can that can help anyone is the book. Susan Jeffers explains um, the different levels of fear and how if we have no awareness of our self-talk, our self-talk completely rules the roost in our heads. And oh, yeah. I get that. And I, you know, I can hear myself at that time saying, I, I, I'm not, I'm doing oh, this wrong. Yeah. Why didn't I pay attention to that? Why did I make this decision? Over and over yeah, and over in absolutely. my head. Absolutely. Um, and this starts from when we're maybe around five or six years of age, our self-talk. And and you think about it when we, if we have had a difficult childhood, which I did, the self-talk was there to protect me, but it became this uh, 
constant reminder of what I'm doing wrong so I can correct it, what I should have said, what I should have done. And um, as we grow up, it it becomes, I wasn't even aware of how negative my self-talk was, putting myself down, keeping myself quiet, not expressing what I need. And as um, as I started, well, it was started when I started reading the book is just becoming aware of my self-talk and then tools for actually interrupting my self-talk and uh, creating more self-talk. One of the hugest changes for me was one, the awareness, and there's work with affirmations about, about saying things that are comforting to us instead of degrading and abasing and belittling and, and uh, you know, I, one of the things I learned through therapy is if I imagined myself as a little girl outside of myself, would I talk to myself like I do in my head? And I would never say wow. anything like that to any little child in front of me. And yet I, I bully and belittle and nitpick things I used to, I, I have since. I think that's a great image to put before people to to picture that child oh absolutely that inner mm-hmm. child it's very powerful yeah it's and pretty powerful. there are times that i still struggle with it especially if i'm under the gun with something and stressed which is like now with what's happening in around the globe and if i do not keep on top of my self-talk um fear will take over and Really, the bottom line yeah. of my fear is that I can't handle what's happening, but I can. You just got to take it one step at a time and be gentle with myself instead of um, bullying myself. So, it, And that's what caregivers do. They tell themselves they can't do it or they're doing it sure, wrong. Sure, it's overwhelming. Sure. Absolutely. And I think what, what really plays into that is... The, um, what worked at ten o'clock this morning with with a, a dementia person yeah. doesn't work at two o'clock this afternoon, and so you're constantly, as Bobby says, creative problem solving on the run. And it, it if what's the old saying? If you've seen one dementia patient, right. you've seen right. exactly that one dementia patient because they're so so very different, mm, and mm. they're so and different you add hour on to, to hour. Add on to that. The fact that they are a loved one and that your heart is is um, entwined with their care and you're wanting them to get better, it adds another dimension of, um, yeah. you know, just that being overwhelmed. It's a whole different level. Yeah. A whole different yeah. level. Absolutely. Yes, you're absolutely right. Level. And, you know, Shirley, so many caregivers think they're the only ones that have those thoughts and I those know. feelings. So your sharing today with our large audience is going to impact a number of people. Um, when in, in introducing you, you said the spiritual dimension of your field of, field of fear and do it anyway allows you to work at a deeper level with caregivers. Can you explain that a sure. little bit? Sure. Um, as I have grown over the years, and it's been, well, 1981 to 2021, as many years, I don't have to add it up. Um, I found myself, well, first of all, being very angry at a higher power, however people define that, and uh, coming mm-hmm. to terms with um, not knowing what to believe in. As I have over the years become stronger in, my, in the sense of who I am, I've learned um, 
like a deeper faith in myself in understanding and trusting what I need and following that. And I'm not taking anything away from uh, religion or, you know, of a higher power as people um, practice. Yeah. But, Define but um, yeah. <laughs> as we get to know ourselves and what we need, we can treat ourselves with a gentle, loving kindness that almost helps us reparent, re-nurture, re-nourish ourselves so that we can be um, our own advocate. And as, as I have done that over the years with all different types of tools and experience and um, um, just receiving help from teachers and, and other um, guiding people, it, it has deepened my sense of, um, deepened my relationship with myself. And I call that soul work uh, because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking at a deep level of truth within myself that that helps me stand straighter helps me be proud of myself and have more confidence because i'm there for me i'm not relying on someone outside of me to do it for me which i used to do with spouses and partners and kids and circumstances and test results everything so um go ahead. so what how do you how do you teach other people to do that well in the book feel the fear and do it anyway the one of the first chapters talks about understanding the levels of fear and uh, fear fear has essentially as Susan Jeffers has broken it down three levels and the first the first level is breaking up with things that um, happen like a child being sick or that's things that happen or things that uh, require action I have to drive on the highway to take her to the doctor Though that's a level one fear, and that's just one example of each. Underneath that that level, if you can kind of look at it like a ladder, you go down a rung, and that's the um, the fear that I'm going to be um, honked at. I'm going to be criticized. I'm going to be. It's it's really fear of the ego, fear of of being um, vulnerable, of looking stupid. <clears throat> of being rejected, of not being believed. That's underneath that level one fear. And then you can go down another level, the bottom level or the the ultimate um, bottom line level is that my fear of not being able to handle what comes my way. And as I have, and I am my own guinea pig, as I have deepened my relationship with myself more on a soul level, I get very quickly into my fear that I can't handle things. And I start doing, um, you know, like um, supporting myself to be able to handle what I'm afraid I can't. And it kind of helps me deal with everything that comes my way. Because really, adults are, are across the board pretty darn good problem solvers about anything but it mostly comes out when we're doing it with our kids or with our loved ones and when we think about doing it with ourselves not with yourself a lot of times we abandon that because we don't think we can do it because we're afraid we can't handle it but we can you know the the visualization that you just gave me it was kind of a a little bit of an aha moment where you usually think of levels and you start here and you go up a level and then up a level 
But what you said was so important is the level one is is such, but then you go down and you go down. That uh, that rungs of a ladder um, visualization just really hit me that you're really going down. Yes. You're not going yes. up. And that's, I, I really work with, that's um, you know, I do a lot of workshops and one-on-one with people. And, and, and I've even created the, you can't see it, but the movement of my hands, because let's take that deeper. Let's take that deeper because the bottom line is in what Susan right. Jeffers has discovered is that our, our fear that we can't handle it, which oftentimes creates a panic attack when it is unnoticed and untalked about and it's overwhelming. And um, I've had enough, enough of those to know the process of um, where they culminate from. Now, you're, it also says uh, in your bio that you're a teacher of meditation. I got to tell you, uh, a funny but yet embarrassing story <laughs> of meditation. So a long, long time ago, I was involved in the martial arts. And when we would come in, we would go into the locker room, we would get changed into our karate outfits, and we were supposed to go off and meditate in the corner or against the wall. I would sit there with my eyes closed, facing a wall, thinking, this is the stupidest darn thing. I don't know why he insists on we have to. So I'm probably the worst meditator ever. I've been there. (laughs) So so maybe you can uh, help that one other listener like me and me on how to develop uh, a meditation okay. or, or um, how to meditate. Well, first I want to say that there's no <laughs> any right or wrong way of meditating because to me, and this is my opinion, when I sit down with myself for maybe 10 or 15 minutes to set aside time to meditate, whether I'm sitting there and my monkey mind is bouncing off the walls, and but I'm still sitting there, I'm setting aside time for me. And, and so I really started uh, several years ago as um, I, I just found myself getting antsier and antsier. And people would say, oh, you need to learn to meditate. And I felt like saying, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know how many times I've heard that? Yeah. And so what I ended up doing was I started with one minute. <laughs> one minute. Can I sit in a chair for one minute and just for myself? And I found um, on um, these um, cell phone apps a guided meditation for one minute, literally. And so I'd plug myself in and I'd listen for maybe it was 55 second meditation and I did it. And so I did it again. And that was kind of fun. You know, I didn't know where it's going. And so I, I slowly worked myself up to um, a half an hour and, and it would be guided with help from a meditation app, which there's a lot of them that are free. And the way I chose the meditation app or the meditation was just, how did it make me feel? Did I like the voice of this person? No, I don't. Okay, find another one. Or how does that make me feel? And um, I eventually did that. It's progressed to the point that I ended up uh, signing up for a, uh, a week-long silent retreat, which I thought I was going to climb the walls. But I found it so comforting that then I started 
being the facilitator of a week-long silent retreat up in the Berkshires of Massachusetts. Can't be too much work to that. <laughs> Actually, it, it takes some discipline. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Mike, I think for you, meditation is music. If he sits for any, even a few seconds with no other stimulation. I was just going to go there. He's engaged in music. And that is meditation because you are setting aside time to be relaxing and you're focused on the, enjoying the music because meditation is essentially a focusing relaxation. And so it doesn't matter as long as it's good for you. Well, it's interesting if I would do one of those apps and I would go asleep. about four or five minutes, what would I yeah. do? Oh, yeah. Or start tapping. <laughs> or, or. I don't know where you're trying to leave me, baby. Or. Oh. You always say. If I leave him alone for more than 10 leave me minutes, alone. he either falls asleep or hurts oh. himself. <laughs> Sometimes both. Well, I've, I encourage you to fall asleep because what the ultimate relaxation. It's not worthless. You've, you've relaxed yourself. Speaking of relaxing, also um, yes. talk about yes. the seven dynamic stress relieving techniques. Sure. Um, sure. How about we go over um, that? This is something I offer everybody I work with and people who think that it is going to be helpful for them. It's something, if you go on my website, I'll say, and just uh, give me your email address, and then you get an automatic download of the two pages of eight stress relieving techniques. These are things that, that I gathered um, over the years that helped me, and some of them are are helpful in the sense that with a panic attack it is instantaneous help for me in my experience over and over again because music is the number one because it sure. changes yes i agree it changes the energy of where we are at it helps us interrupt our thoughts we it's, it's inspiring and when we we feel inspired our energy changes and so it's a doorway into relaxation, however that looks. Another one that's related to music is binaural beat music, which I found was referred to me by a therapist dealing with anxiety and panic attacks. With headphones on, it's basically has one beat that goes in the right side and one beat that goes in the left side. And it, it does something to the brain that causes a relaxation and they can make the music to be sleep inducing or in, uh, releasing anxiety or inspiring it. There's a whole um, technique about it now and there are websites for it. There's just a cautionary thing because it is playing with sound and sound is very, sound is a vibration. And there is a cautionary for people who, who have neurological or cardiac issues. They just need to be, be cautioned with um, playing with that. They should read all about it and um, ask their doctor if they feel that they are, should check it out. But binaural beat music, it has taken me from a frenzied panic state into a relaxed and well, fo focused state just by the binaural beats. And the next one is singing. When we sing, we change our energy. And you can see these things are changing our energy. Because when we are feeling sad or anxious, our energy is kind of focused into the sinkhole and we can change it with an interruption of doing something. Well, as a music therapist, Mike has definitely talked to people and taught people and is aware of how music helps people with dementia. Absolutely. Sure. absolutely. The fourth one is EFT or tapping, definitely. which I know you're familiar with. Yeah, it's very... <laughs> 
Yes, um, it's wonderful. And, and it is very, very <laughs> I tap on I've everything. Had, um, many times that I have kind of done a U-turn towards getting panicked when I have done tapping. It's helped me. And there are websites that, that actually give a demonstration online. Each one of these things on this sheet has a website to correlate with the, the type of um, thing that I'm offering. The next one is square breathing, uh, which is something that I have used since um, I first started sitting in waiting rooms, waiting uh, in the pediatrician's office. It's breathing into the count of four, holding for the count of four, breathing out for the count of four, holding for the count of four. So you can actually visualize a rectangle or a square and breathe it. And what was important to me when I used this a lot was nobody knew what I was doing, but I was calming myself in public. And I oftentimes got triggered when I heard kids crying because it would trigger me instantly into, you know, mm-hmm. because of all the hospital space. Right. Another one is called is self-massage where, you know, the wringing of the hands and people are worried they're actually rubbing their hands. That's actually a self-massage point for calming down. I'm sitting yeah. here doing it. <laughs> and there's and there's other places on our head and we can do our feet. And, you know, we can, it, it's educating ourselves of things that can help calm us down and nurture us. A very, another very important one for me is a technique of uh, passing an object from one hand to the other. I use a coin. You can do it with a quarter or a paper clip and you're just fiddling, but you're passing it methodically from one hand to the other. And it is a relaxation technique that is using both sides of the brain and it creates a calming effect. I remember waiting in the car as somebody was going in to get me my medication for anxiety because I have run out and I had let it lapse thinking I couldn't afford it anymore, which wasn't the right choice. And I was in a panic sitting in the car and I took a coin and I just kept passing it, kept breathing, kept passing it. And it calmed me down. It calmed me down to almost like this lulling feeling. Uh, so coin passing. Somebody has likened it to uh, knitting or crocheting because you're using both hands. And that in itself is very relaxing. Rocking is another rhythmic thing. I can see you rocking like, yes, works. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one is worry stones or talisman, the things <laughs> that you hold in your pocket that are, you know, they represent strength. They represent courage. You used to do that all the time with um, taking something to give me a boost as I'm standing there talking to a doctor and I can put my hand in the pocket and know that there's something that is mine, nobody else knows, and it is giving me comfort. So all these these have been super helpful to me and they're, and we're all able to do it without having to to really do anything except focus our attention on helping ourselves. Shirley, you have given so many great ideas and and techniques for caregivers, no matter who they're caring for, um, to help them relieve the terrible stress that comes with being a caregiver. And I can't thank you enough. And I know that uh, people are going to come away from this podcast having learned a great deal. And we will link to your site from our webpage so people can go and get that Absolutely. list. Absolutely. I, I think it's really, it's another way of helping ourselves as we're in the, in the process of caregiving. Well, Shirley, certainly thank you for uh, being on the podcast with us. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely. been absolutely, it's always delightful with you. Uh, just can't thank you enough. You've uh, given us a plethora of information and knowing that I <laughs> totally stress relieved by all the stuff that I do that annoys everybody, like tapping and 
<laughs> and and humming yeah, yes, and that's right. and what not that nana it's good for me so <laughs> but thank you thank it's you so very much for being on the show I with us i know our listeners got a lot out of it both. and we will speak more often it's a delight okay thank you so Sounds much good. thank you well one takeaway that i had today was that self-talk that critical self-talk that we do and ask yourself, would you speak to your to a child like that? A lot of the uncertainties that we develop as we're growing up comes from lessons that we learned, negative lessons that we learned as children. And now we're the adult and we can nurture that child. I just, that was, that was my aha moment. Yeah, and I certainly got the, the visualization of the ladder and going down the ladder because that's what you're doing with the different levels is you're seeping further and further down. And a lot of times when you see levels, levels one, two, and three, and the visualization is going up as opposed to going down. I think that's important too, uh, that visualization. I certainly recognized myself when she was talking about the fear of driving. You know, I drive in our local community. If it's if it's outside of my comfort zone, I have Mike drive. Um, and I when I, you also have a fear of passengering yes. too. But when I'm driving, <laughs> I just think, you know, the the traffic is heavy. You know, I think. But she's given me an insight to where that discomfort comes from that I never had before. And and I appreciate the lessons that Shirley taught me today. Well. Speaking of lessons, um, we got a question uh, recently, and um, the question was, I'm having trouble getting mom to eat enough. Is anyone else having this happen, and do you have any suggestions or recommendations? This is a question that comes up a lot with caregivers, uh, new people coming into the caregiver support group or on the caregiver social media sites. It's a question that comes up often. And there can be a number of reasons why um, someone with dementia is not eating as much. And one of them could be as simple as the fact that their vision has been impacted. And when they look at the plate of food that you set before them, they may not see the food. If you have, say, mashed potatoes and, and a broiled piece of chicken, light-colored foods on a white plate may not be able to see that. Um, so one recommendation is, depending on the color of the food, change the color of the plate. If it's light-colored food, put it on a, dark, a red or a blue plate. If it's dark-colored food, put it on a white plate. And you also might want to cut it up for them. And don't be too insistent that they use utensils. It's okay if they picked up the food with their hands and feed themselves that way. The food is getting into them. But if we're standing over them and saying, no, don't do that, don't do that, then they're going to give up and not eat. The key thing is if they resist, don't insist. Don't insist. <laughs> so li live and let live. You can find out more information about Shirley and Feel the Fear workshops on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That, and I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes, please post a review, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Let us know how we can help, or if you have a question that you'd like for us to address, or just a general question for your own personal information, uh, please post it on the Roger That Facebook page. 
To find out more about us or where Bobby will be speaking next, head over to rogerthat.show. That's roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. You can find out more about HCA on our website or go to hearingcharities.org.